0: You can be turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we're going to be this morning, as well as you may also want to reach inside your worship folders and pull out the message notes. It's got the main passage that we're going to uh, be focusing on today, as well as some blanks that you can fill in if you care to do so. But uh, let's kind of review a little bit about where we've been in this chapter. Here in 1 Corinthians <clears throat> Excuse me, 15, Paul makes the point that Christianity is founded on factual, historical events, things that actually happened. In fact, he makes the point, if they didn't happen, then we're all just wasting our time. <laughs> we're just kidding ourselves. We should be somewhere else doing something else rather than being here if, it didn't, if they didn't happen. I mean, That's what he says in verse 17 to 19. Look there with me. Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Those who've died. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Man, if those events didn't happen. We're just wasting our time. And so these two factual, historical events, Jesus' death on the cross, it actually, factually happened. And his resurrection from the grave, it actually, factually happened. In fact, earlier in the chapter, in verse 3 to 7, Paul gives us these two events and two proofs of these events look look back there with me. Paul says for verse three for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to and he names all of these. Hundreds of people that Jesus appeared to. Two actual, factual, historical events and two proofs that they actually factually happened. That Jesus died and that was proven by the fact that he was buried. You don't bury living people. Or you shouldn't anyway. He was buried. He died. Proof of it. They buried him. And that he was raised, and that was proven by the fact that he appeared to people. If you're dead, you don't walk around appearing to people. These two events really happened. And so, Jesus' resurrection is a big deal. In fact, you might say it is the main thing. But maybe you're thinking, but, but why? I mean, why is it such a big deal? I mean, why is it the main thing? And for that, the verses that we want to start into today, Paul gives us the answer. Here's the key, verse 20. Look with me. Paul says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The And you may want to circle this word in your Bible if you're in the habit of writing in your Bibles. He says that the First fruits of those who have fallen asleep, of those who've died. First fruits are just, you know, if you plant crops, first fruits are just those, the, the produce that you harvest first. It, it's, the, it's what gives you the evidence that there's more just like it to come. And that's what Paul says Jesus' resurrection was. It was the first fruits. It was the evidence that there's more to come. That because Jesus rose from the grave, because he was first, because he was the first fruits, so will all of us. It doesn't end at the graveyard. That this life is not all there is. And that every one of us will live forever someplace because Jesus rose from the grave. And so because Jesus rose from the grave, so will all of us. Doesn't end when you die. He keeps going on. He explains this. Verse 21 and following. He says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, here's another word you may want to circle, all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, there it is again. And then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. And now when it says that everything has been put under uh, him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. Or when he has done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Paul is talking here about Christ's future, final coming. That when Jesus comes, he will put all things under his feet. That right now, Jesus has already paid the price, but he hasn't fully claimed everything that he's paid for yet. But one day, at his final coming, he will claim all authority. And everything will be put under his control. And everybody will be raised, and there won't be anybody dying anymore after that. And then those of us who've claimed Jesus' blood as the payment for our sins, we will rule and reign with him forever. And those of us who aren't under the blood of Jesus... We'll pay for the consequences of our sin. And so I'd tell you again, the resurrection is a big deal. It's the main thing. But you see, in Corinth, there were some people. Again, I remind you again, Corinth was a real place. These were real people in a church in Corinth that Paul was writing to there. And there in Corinth, there were some people who were saying that there wasn't going to be a future resurrection. And so what Paul does in these next semi-confusing verses, what he does is he gives us three reasons to prove that there will be a future resurrection. That just like Jesus' death and resurrection did actually factually happen that so will our future resurrection, it will actually, factually happen. And so he gives these three reasons. Let me work through these verses. Let's do it together. Verse 29. He says, now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? And if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? And if the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, what's that that baptized for the dead thing all about? In fact, some of you didn't even hear the rest of the verses because you got kind of crept up in that. I I got that, okay? I did too when Pastor Steve gave me this passage to preach on. So what is all that about? Well, the short answer is beats me. So let's just pray and... Now, let me tell you, let me, let me remind you the context here, because that's important. You've got to understand what's going on here, and then I'll get back around to addressing that. Remember, here's what's going on here. Paul is giving three reasons to validate that there will be a future resurrection, that this life is not all there is. So let's kind of work our way through those three reasons. That if there is no future resurrection... If this life is all there is, then number one, here's his first reason. Then why is this bizarre practice going on? Let me read it to you again. Verse 29. He says, now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? And if the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? You see, apparently what was happening is some people in Corinth were being baptized on behalf of people who had already died. Now, the question that you probably think when you read that is, well, does that mean we ought to be doing that? Well, it's interesting. Paul doesn't address the right or wrong of this practice. And the reason is because that's not his point. His point is that if it ended at the grave, that if there were no future resurrection, then why would people be doing something like this? That's his point. But see, we all realize, almost intuitively, there's more than just this life. That it doesn't end at the grave. That eternity is written on our hearts. That there is life beyond this life. But let's take a minute and let's let's go back to this strange practice that some of these people in Corinth were doing. And so the question I think we ought to ask is, well, how do we know that we shouldn't be doing this? I mean, it's right there in the Bible. Well, the first thing I'd say to that is there's a lot of things in the Bible that we shouldn't be doing. I mean, there's adultery in the Bible. There's lying in the Bible. There's cheating and stealing. There's all kinds of stuff in the Bible that we're not supposed to do. So that doesn't really answer that. But any time that you read something in the Bible that that you have questions about, the first thing that you need to do is to compare it with the rest of the Bible. So let's do that. Let's, Let's see what the Bible has to say on this subject. Hebrews... Chapter 9, verse 27, says this. People die once, and after that, they are judged. You see, the the writer of Hebrews was saying this. We're all going to be judged on the basis of what each of us did in this life. Not on the basis of what somebody else does for us after we die. In fact, for that matter, the act of baptism itself doesn't save us either, does it? I mean, whether you're doing it for yourself or you're doing it for somebody else, baptism doesn't save anybody. You can go down into the water, a dry center, and come up a wet center, right? <laughs> baptism doesn't save anybody. Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace that you've been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. And it's not by works. So that no one can boast. Baptism or any other works doesn't save anybody. Baptism doesn't save. We're saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. You say, well, then, why do we get baptized? Well, we don't get baptized in order to be saved. We get baptized to testify to those around us that we have been saved. You see, that's what baptism is. It's going public. It's telling those around you, that you have bowed your knee to Jesus, that you've received his death on the cross to be the payment for your sins. It's surrendering yourself to him and then telling the world, hey, I've done this. I've given myself to Jesus. I've received his gift on my behalf, his shed blood on the cross for me. That's what baptism is. It it doesn't save anybody. And so the Bible isn't teaching baptismal regeneration Nor is it teaching that we should all start getting baptized for all of our dead, unsaved friends. Paul is just making the point here that, hey, if there were no future resurrection. If this life were all that there is, if it ended at the grave, then why would people be going to such extreme measures like this? That's his point. Well, let's keep going. He says not only that. But argument number two, if there there is no future resurrection, if, if this life is all there is, then number two, why do we keep following Jesus despite hardship and difficulties? Why do we do that? Let's look again, verse 30, the first part of verse 32. He says, and as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes. What have I gained? See, what Paul does is he recounts all the difficulties, all the sufferings, all the hardships that he's faced. And yet he keeps on following Jesus. Why does he do that? It's because this life is not all there is. That there is a future resurrection. That eternity is coming. And what I do for Christ in this life matters. That's why. Now, probably most of us, haven't faced the kind of hardships that Paul have faced. I mean, most of us haven't been beaten for our faith and stoned with rocks. I mean, maybe we've been stoned, but not with rocks. You know, that's a whole different thing. (laughs) We haven't faced the kind of hardships and difficulties maybe that Paul has faced. But pain's pain, right? So... Why do we, let's personalize this, let's make this real to us. I mean, why do we keep following Jesus despite going things that, that are painful, that are difficult, things that we go through in our life and we think, God, where are you? How can you be letting this happen to me? Where are you? Why don't you show up and save me, rescue me out of this? I mean, why do we keep following Jesus? Despite our difficulties and our hardships and our pain, why do we do that? Well, same answer. It's because this life is not all there is. That there is a future resurrection, that eternity is coming, and what I do for Christ in this life matters. You know, more people will be tortured and martyred for their faith in our lifetime than any other time in history. We kind of get sealed off from that because we live in a place where where we can worship freely, but not so everywhere. More people will be tortured, killed, martyred because they proclaim the name of Jesus in our lifetime than any other. Well, why do they endure such treatment? Why do they follow Jesus all the way, some of them, to their unjust death? Why? It's because this life is not all there is. That there is a future resurrection, that eternity is coming, and what I do for Christ in this life matters. And if there is no resurrection... Paul is saying, if this life is all there is, then none of that makes any sense, does it? One more. Paul says, if, if there's no resurrection, if this life is all there is, if it ends at the grave, the number three, then why not just party? That's what he says. Partway through verse 32, he says, if the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink For tomorrow we die. You know, if this life is all there is. Then, you know, that's the only approach to life that makes any sense. Isn't that true? But you see, friends, this life is not all there is. It doesn't end at the grave. There will be a future resurrection and a future judgment. And so Paul makes his application here in verse 33 and 34. He says, so do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. You see, you will be influenced by the people that you hang around. You will be influenced by the songs that you listen to. You're going to be impacted by the movies that you see and the TV shows that you watch. And so Paul says, so pay attention. Come to your senses. Don't be ignorant. Live God's way. Don't go around sinning, living in disobedience to God. It does matter. Because this life is not all there is. There is a future resurrection. Eternity is coming. And what I do for Christ in this life matters. And so Paul calls us to upright... Obedient lifestyles and actions. You see, the resurrection that we're going to celebrate together in two weeks, it matters. It's a big deal. The resurrection, both Jesus' resurrection in the past and our resurrection in the future is the main thing. You know, maybe you wonder, like I do sometimes, you know, why why have different sexual standards than this world that we live in? I mean, we live in a sex-saturated society. Isn't that true? That's why the book of Corinthians is so rich for us, because Corinth was a city like that. You've heard us say that before. It was brimming over with sin and the opportunity to sin and sinful thinking. Just like the world that we live in. And so sometimes don't you wonder why why have different standards in the world sexually? Why why not have the same morals as all of those around us? I mean, why should we be ethical and honest in a world that lies and cheats and steals and for the most part appears to get away with it? Why? It's because Jesus rose from the grave. And that means we are going to rise too. That this life is not all there is, that it doesn't end at the grave. I was having a discussion this week with uh, one of our small group leaders. And uh, they were saying to me, you know, it's just it's just hard sometimes and leading and, and shepherding people and, you know, leading a group. And they said, um, you know, sometimes I, j- I just wonder, you know, why, why keep reaching out and, and, and why keep extending ourselves and making room for more, pe- more people and going through the pain of multiplying our group? And, 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 and you know, there, there, there's the 12 of us and we all like each other. It's comfortable. Why can't it just stay like that? And I said to him, I, I get that. I think that way sometimes myself. But then I remind myself that, you know, me and this handful of people, we aren't the only ones that matter. That we're not the center of the universe. Last I checked, Jesus is. We need to revolve around him and his kingdom, not me and what I want. That people are dying and going to hell still. And ministry and serving and doing things for the kingdom of God is important. It matters. And so I dare not settle for such a small vision. I remember years ago having this discussion with a, with a, a lady in our church. And she said, you know, I hope as a church we're not going to get any bigger. You know, she said, because, you know, you get bigger and then you don't know people. And, and I like the size we are. Let's not get any bigger. And I said to her, I get it. I get that. I understand that. But when I think that way, I remind myself that I'm not the only person that matters. That I'm not the center of the universe. That it can't revolve around me and what's comfortable for me and what I like. That people are still dying and going to hell and ministry and serving. And, and the greater kingdom purposes of God are important and so we dare not settle for such a small vision sometimes i hear people i mean they're not really griping they're just kind of thinking out loud they say you know why do we keep planning churches i mean every time you plan a church you know people leave and you miss those people why can't we just all stay here and be happy together and and i and i remind myself we're not the center of the universe We're not the only ones that matter. People are still dying and going to hell. And Christ's kingdom purposes, ministry and serving are important. And we dare not settle for such a small vision. See, we have this tendency, don't we? To settle for these small me-centered visions. But when we do, here's what we have to remind ourselves. That Jesus rose from the grave. That is an actual historical fact. And one day, we are going to be raised too. And people will spend eternity either with God or separated from him. And what we do in this life will matter. Man, the resurrection is a big deal, isn't it? Well, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I would just ask that you would help us live in light of eternity. And forgive us for so often when we have these small me-centered visions. Jesus, give us kingdom-sized visions. And this week, when we face those temptations that are just thrown at us all the time, and we start to think, well, why not just do it? Why not just give in? Everybody else around us is, and why why do it God's way? It's so hard. Lord, when we face those temptations, give us the prompting of your spirit to remind us that this life is not all there is, that eternity is coming, And that what we do in this life really does matter. So that you help us be different. You help us be a bright, shining light in a dark world. All for your glory, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.